Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Contemplating Christian, and today we are going to be talking about uh, the crisis with men. Uh, we have a couple articles we are working off of. Uh, one is about redeeming Neverland, as in this this guy writes about Peter Pan, the book, and connects it to this idea of men lacking meaning and being shamed by culture. And then we're going to transition eventually into uh, another article about choices between courage and despair with examples from Lord of the Rings. So that's that's kind of what we're talking about today. But to start us off, let's let's touch on this idea of the crisis with men and also this connection of of Peter Pan, because it's an interesting connection. So this guy in the article says the book hook represents what was and this was by the way during a time of war so um during the war it's what was these these men that had meaning that were being fulfilled and then peter pan will represented the future kind of this this unclear thing and peter pan also represents a juvenile masculinity that kind of came around after the war um so what we have today is this this place where men are are being shamed and they have to make a choice all right and they have to figure out how to deal with this as in today men are dealing with i would say three things shame despair friendlessness and that is the uh the crisis we are going to be responding to in this video um so will what are your fresh thoughts on this crisis of men yeah just first to point out that these articles, a lot of the things we draw from is from the website Mere Orthodoxy, and they just mm -hmm. have a ton of great articles that you should just go read. They're really stimulating and uh, thought-provoking and whatnot, so just credit to them. They get a lot of these uh, just really wonderful articles. Yeah. Um, but meaning crisis. Yeah, I think that this is sort of this kind of this nerve that's been hit on a lot recently in culture, uh, particularly from those in the sort of Jordan Peterson crowd and those adjacent to him have been addressing this meaning crisis among men. And mm. part of it is related to an educational crisis. Men are just doing worse at school. And there's tons of different factors for that. There's not one thing that contributes to that, but men are doing worse in school. They're not going as far. They're not doing as well or performing as well in school, often being uh, you know, surpassed by the women in school, uh, in college, and the same thing in employment. Um, sort of the same deal. Women are kind of passing men up actually in a lot of ways. And in terms of getting hired, uh, the amount of jobs for men, a lot, of, a lot of the things that were like these stalwart jobs that, you know, men had for such a long time. An example would be uh, being like a truck driver, uh, a delivery driver, something like that. Uh, that's becoming more and more automated. There's different uh, jobs that are kind of moving into being automated and thus taking jobs away from men. And so there's, a big meaning crisis to that. And I think part of that is because men deep down have a, uh, a biological drive and it's in their nature to have a mission, to work, to have meaning, to have purpose mm -hmm. and to fulfill uh, what we would say as Christians as the dominion mandate. They've been given this uh, mandate by God to go and cultivate the earth, work, work the earth, keep, attend to it, um, mm -hmm. go and produce things, make, have a family. And all those things are becoming, in a sense, harder and harder for men and, and discouraged also by culture. 
Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, yeah, men are in a difficult spot in culture today. Mm -hmm. And culture in general, there's been just a a decline in in many of these kind of traditional values and whatnot, but men are getting hit hard with it. Yeah, as in uh, the role men usually fill, other things are starting to take their place, whether it be uh, things becoming automated. Um, I know a lot of uh, that might have happened with like factory work. Uh, A lot of men used to do things in factories, but then that eventually just machines took over, right? Yeah. And then um, also, well, specifically in like very well-developed countries, maybe some people are starting to be uh, safe enough or well-off enough where they don't need someone in their life like providing for them or necessarily protecting them. Um, Mm -hmm. Like women today in America, they can do very well. Um, mm-hmm. like on their own by themselves. And if they, uh, if they can make a bunch of money and provide for themselves, why would they need, uh, need a man? Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's not necessarily this, um, situation that's been, uh, what's, what's been normal the past, like thousands and thousands of years, because, you know, people actually needed those roles and not one person could fulfill everything. But today, mm-hmm. uh, you never know. But <clears throat> anyway, uh, Another question that we're we're going to get into is if all of those things are being taken away, what outlets do men have today? Mm-hmm. All right, and so for uh, just for like brainstorming purposes, uh, well, what what do you think? Uh, just a couple ideas. What what are some things left that are an outlet for men's, uh, I guess, uh, natural tendencies? Uh, what are things that allow them? who be men today that are still in place and aren't being replaced? Well, I'll maybe start with just some negative things. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. not sure if that's where you want me to go with it, but I think it's okay. negative places, and maybe this would be examples of, of Neverland uh, mm-hmm. going from the article. Um, but things like the entire world of pornography um, is an example of where men are in some sense scratching the itch of who they are as men and fulfilling this drive that they have but in reality it's a fake it's a fake world and it isn't actually uh fulfilling but there are more and more why would i have to go out like actually start a family try to pursue a woman things like that if i just have this world that i can just dive into whenever i want that's Mm -hmm. definitely a neverland i think video games um things like that uh kind of virtual worlds um are these mm. kind of never examples of Neverland in, in many ways. Um, and they're just increasingly uh, less and less places, I think, for men to exercise true masculinity in the real world. Um, yeah, what do you think? Yeah, no, that's, uh, <clears throat> I would say that that is correct. So video games specifically is an interesting example. Um, mm-hmm. Today, that's actually something boys use to get that mass like those masculine urges fulfilled so this idea of adventure i mean today there isn't as much adventure as there used to be um so what what do boys do they play games like assassin's creed where they get to like battle for something and they get to explore a whole world um so there there is that right there um and <clears throat> that's that's one outlet. Um, another outlet could be uh, the military, as we uh, as we mentioned before briefly. Um, so the military is 
one of the final ways that are still in place that men can get that adventure and become like protectors and uh, still uh, do something like that. And so there, there are still things in place that men can use to to get these outlets, but in that negative sense. Um, so like porn or video games, we would say that is, it's a way for them to um, like satisfy that, but it's not fulfilling. It's not the real thing. It's something they're like, they're grasping for straws. Uh, they're, they're, it's like a last ditch effort to uh, be a, a man in some sense. Um, I don't know. So the the next thing is that like, why are they, why are they in this position? And we would say it's because they have shame as in people are shaming them. All right. People are bullying them. Uh, and that's kind of the reality of what's happening today. So do you want to speak a little bit to, uh, to that, just this idea of men being bullied or shamed or something like that and saying it connected to the Peter Pan thing. Um, we would say that hook is the bully as in he's bullying Peter Pan into, uh, kind of staying this juvenile uh, man and not growing up. Yeah, I think that uh, kind of a, the majority cultural opinion, perhaps, uh, of men is that the things that are uniquely masculine mm-hmm. are to be shamed. So anything that makes you uniquely a man as opposed to a woman becomes something that is um, is worthy of scorn, worthy of shame. Mm-hmm. Um and so this is kind of a from the left, it's sort of a men are kind of saturated with shame. And they're told over and over and over again that the things that make you a man are actually bad, evil, wrong, oppressive, toxic, etc. And so those things are more and more stripped away from you. Mm. So then you just kind of sit in the shame and then you actually just start to believe it. So men just are kind of, once they are told it enough, it's mm-hmm. kind of similarly to like an abandoned child. Uh like the author in the <clears throat> of the article makes mention that if you have you know like an abandoned child and you try to take that child in overcoming that sense of shame and that sense of i don't belong and i'm mm-hmm. not good enough all those things takes a long time then if you're just start you start fresh from a child that is like constantly told how loved they are they have a sense of belonging um so there's just a huge difference there and i think men are kind of in that position of being a child that has been kind of neglected in many ways and told over and over mm-hmm. and over again that they're useless or at least that's been communicated and so mm-hmm. they have this sense of shame and really this sense of shame is interesting uh the author contrasts shame and glory and from a biblical perspective glory is this sense of weightiness or significance uh, so god has weight and glory and mm-hmm. not thinking as much about like actual like heaviness or pounds but like significance uh, a weightiness as in he should be the most all-consuming reality he is more real than anything else that's mm-hmm. god and he is glorious in that that he's the most real and the most significant and men are supposed to have glory they're supposed to be glorious because they're made in the image of god and when they lose their glory they lose their then they just go to shame the opposite mm-hmm. of glory then is is shame where they lose significance they and they just kind of yeah, they they have this. I think the article says shame is a fear of insignificance mm-hmm. in many ways. I think that's what men are experiencing today. Yeah. And 
to clarify in this, shame actually can be good. That is something. There is a healthy shame and an unhealthy shame. Um, as in, if you are shameless and you have no shame at all, that's actually a bad thing because you that's one way you do things that you aren't supposed to do. As in, if you're shameless, you'll do what isn't uh, accepted morally or something that's not accepted uh, culturally or socially or or anything like that if you have no shame. As in, um, the reason I don't do some things is because of shame. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's what stops us from doing bad things. But another thing is, is that if we are shamed too much, that actually leads us to the same outcome as shamelessness. As in, uh, let's say, I don't do certain things because that would bring shame. But if people are constantly shaming uh, me, even when I'm not doing something wrong, like, so for example, men trying to be men, if people are shaming them for, you know, trying to provide and protect, what is going to end up as is they're going to be like, well, no matter what I do, I'm going to get shame. So I might as well just do what I want. It doesn't even matter anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you arrive through shame at this, this uh, end and at the end of the road, there's this just uh, pool of despair that they are in. They're like, it doesn't matter anymore. So I might as well just do what I want. And so that leads to them like not uh, not growing up or being that Peter Pan. Like, hey, that, it doesn't matter if I be a man or not. So I might as well just live in Neverland. Right. And men mm. should, we all, not just men, but we all as human beings should feel more shame about our sin. We should mm-hmm. feel more shame about our wrongdoing. We should have a more sensitive conscience and more shame directed towards our sin. Um, mm-hmm. That's something that we should have. Like the Israelites in Scripture are chided by God because they have lost. They have the uh, they have the forehead of a whore. That's what mm-hmm. Israel is called in the prophets. They have a forehead of a whore, meaning they have lost the ability to blush. They have lost their sense mm-hmm. of shame, and that's due to their just utter depravity. And I think. In many ways, we still have that. Uh, we have lost our ability to blush in many ways. That's part of being mm-hmm. uh, more and more made like Christ is that we become more and more uh, ashamed of our sin. Mm-hmm. At the same time, when we're ashamed for the wrong thing, we're ashamed for something that is actually naturally a good, like mm-hmm. a man's natural desire to, I don't know, open the door for a woman or something like that. I don't know about you, but I've been yelled at before for <laughs> for opening yeah. the door for, for a lady. Like, yeah, I have. Um, and, and trying to be kind of a gentleman in that way, being shamed for something like that or being shamed for um, just different manly qualities. Um, that's that's where you start to lose glory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I also have been yelled at. <laughs> <laughs> I've been yelled at because I've done something like hold open a door. It's kind of funny because um, yeah. it's very also insignificant. Like why yell at me for opening a door? Yeah. Uh, okay. Anyway, you you are you are correct. So, uh, that's that's what shame does, and because we're ashamed and despaired, uh, what happens is we have this feeling of insignificance, meaninglessness, and uh, lack of belonging. Right <clears throat> now, here's another problem that comes up, though. Here's another problem: is when we are shamed like that, the people that are doing the shaming. Which, um, you know, I, I hate to generalize, but in the article, it said it points out like the left is doing this. Um, and maybe not everyone on the left is doing this, but I mean, so, some people definitely are. So 
when they are shaming like men, they obviously want a change in what they're doing, as in they want them to be different. But the problem uh, that the article points out is all shame does is beget more shame. So if you are constantly shaming someone, all you're going to get is shame. That's that's the end result of shaming someone. Um, right, not change. So yeah, not you don't you don't get the change you want. You don't get change for the better. It doesn't actually fix the problem. It worsens the problem. So let's right. say men men do have this traditional way of acting. Um, right. Well, you could either propose a solution or teach them how to be different or something like that, or have them uh, like how they can still have meaning, but live a different way, which by the way, I don't really think is possible because it's our, uh, it's our design. It's our natural tendency, but I mean, you can still try and solve the problem or produce a solution. But if you shame, shame them, hoping to get change, what you're going to get is a bunch of shameful men. Um, And that's it. That's the result. You know? Right, and it's similar to just just thinking about in the Christian life, how 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 do we change? Do we do we become more and more like Jesus because God shames us? That's not true. His mm-hmm. kindness leads us to repentance. It's the overwhelming grace and abundant goodness that He's bestowed upon us in the gospel that leads people to change. It's His kindness that mm-hmm. leads us to repentance and to change. Same thing with you're a father uh, with your son. You don't shame them into change that never works and Mm. as a culture though we are doing that we are just shaming men expecting them to be different somehow be Mm -hmm. be less men uh be more like sort of a a neutral androgynous human being that has no gendered qualities Mm. or something like that um Mm. and that doesn't work you end up just producing yeah Yeah. like you said men that are shameful yeah, you, you don't uh, you don't shame them. You teach them. So here's an example. <clears throat> this is yeah. This actually happened when I was little. So when, when I was little, I really didn't care about like being polite or being kind, specifically to like girls, because I was a kid. You know, I was like maybe eleven or something like that. But then mm-hmm. I met a really really cool guy. His name is Mark, and he was our uh, he was our youth pastor. But for some reason, I thought this guy was like really cool, and he's like what the heck dude you're supposed to be kind and opening things and so he like taught me how to do and uh i think uh i've never been com- so competitive about something in my life me and this other kid were like racing to open the doors for everyone because we really wanted to be polite but that's what happens when you teach someone how to do something as opposed to shame them you actually get that result um yeah and that's absolutely that's, my that's my story but um so how does this because now we're in this sense of shame this brings mm-hmm. despair and this is this condition that many yeah. men are in today uh mm-hmm. what's the now, turn how, how do we change? yeah so there is uh an alternative to to this um but first thing i i do want to get at this uh this other idea of glory uh the, because you said that men want glory but um, let's say we have a Peter Pan, someone who doesn't want to grow up, someone wants to, who someone who wants to stay juvenile. There is something tempting about that because if everyone's shaming you and you're in Neverland, um, you can do things to give you a false sense of glory, kind of like what we were talking about earlier. Um, mm-hmm. Like men are finding these other outlets, so whether it be like porn or video games or something like that, mm-hmm. they get a false sense of glory, so they um, like. 
even though it's false, it's still a sense of glory, which is better than nothing. So it kind of does make sense why those people are in those places or get to those places where then it eventually leads to despair because with it, um, at some point comes a false sense of glory and that's better than no glory at all. Well, maybe it's better than no glory at all. I don't know. Um, but yeah, <clears throat> that's one thing. Neverland is tempting, but right. there is this other idea, what the article calls the hooks out there. Um, <clears throat> as in the right, on the other hand, as the article puts in, maybe not everyone on the right, but the, the right of the political spectrum is pushing forth this idea of masculinity, but not all the time is it godly masculinity. Sometimes it's literally just fulfilling the duty of a man, and that's how they try and fulfill the problem. Now, there's also a problem with that. So if you know anything about ethics, it's like the difference between duty ethics and virtue ethics. Um, so, uh, Will, would you like to talk about that proposed solution for for men in the search for meaning right it'd be like the duty ethics versus the virtue ethics that's like uh you're changing your behavior but your heart actually never changes the substance actually never changes just the accidents of being a man so maybe you put on the right mm -hmm. clothes you smoke a cigar you are wearing the right stuff you look the part but in reality you're actually not your character isn't actually any different and so there's a danger on the right of having such a maybe a shallow sense of masculinity that's just kind of superficial. Uh, it's easy when you just see like YouTube videos of people and stuff like that. You can get kind of a shallow, superficial vision of what masculinity is that doesn't mm. actually doesn't actually have under undergirding character change. Uh, and I think that's what the article is pointing out that that's he sees those potential pitfalls mm. on the right as they kind of uh, counteract the left and they push forward this masculinity is good. That kind of you know rah rah charge, but it can have a um, a negative effect as well, where people aren't exposed to the actual substantive change. It's just mm -hmm. the accidents of being a man, uh, yeah, wearing the right stuff, doing traditional ma masculine things, shooting guns, smoking uh, a cigar, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, but they don't actually change. Yeah, and that's, that's um, the danger. That is the danger. You're right. And so <clears throat> when it comes to this, uh, godly masculinity doesn't match up with that, obviously. Um, now, we could still push the idea of, hey, you should fulfill this duty because honestly, that would be better than nothing. Um, I mean, it's, it would be better than what we have. If, if we had all the men today just fulfilling the duty without that heart change, that'd be better than them sitting in shame and despair, not doing anything, right? Um, so, I mean, there is something to that message but you're right if someone is just like looking on youtube listening to i don't know like jordan peterson or something like that and they're like yeah that's those are good ideas and then they believe in those ideas and then nothing happens um it doesn't actually solve the problem so right. um the the problem with that is it then takes pride in masculine strength as in it is this superficial like hey look at me i'm masculine uh, that's, and that's what matters. I'm, I'm considered masculine and that's what they have pride in, right? That's not godly. That's not godly. So, um, right now we're at this, this place at the, the end of this article, before we kind of talk about proposed solutions, 
Um, at the end of this article, we have these two choices for men. One of them, because because of the shame and despair and lack of meaning, is become Peter Pan, as in never grow up um, and kind of just do what you want because it doesn't matter. Um, mm-hmm. Or we have this solution of pretend to be a man, right? Mm-hmm. As in just fulfill the duty and that's it. And those are the two options or the two sides that we are left at. Now, those aren't the uh, those aren't the only two solutions. So this is where we kind of actually switch to the uh, <clears throat> to the other side and start talking about this choice between courage and despair because that's the last chosen solution. And I would actually say that's also the this what we're about to talk about is the biblical model of masculinity. Um, what what we end at and. We have examples from Lord of the Rings because why not? It's it's amazing. And so this article that we're in, it's actually called The Doom of Choice. I mm-hmm. think it's from the same website, Mere Orthodoxy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so if you uh if you if you're interested in the articles, by the way, we will post them in the description. Okay. But anyway, in Tolkien and his story of Lord of the Rings, whether you've read it or just watched it or even just heard about it. There's this idea of choices. Um, There are a lot of choices between good and bad, but there are also choices between courage and despair, which is what men are suffering from today, that despair. Um, And some of these choices are really, really great. They they matter a ton. Uh, And the example we can give from Lord of the Rings for that is, is Boromir. Like at first he had to choose between the good and the bad. And at first he actually chooses bad, which significantly affects things. But then at the end, he kind of redeems himself and chooses what is courageous and good. And so that is just one example of a big choice for a character. Now there are other ones. Um, and so, uh, when it, when it comes to this, we would say this is the proposed solution. Men at some point have to make the choice of being truly courageous or um, just despairing and and giving in. And so we'll go over uh, a couple characters that model that. So, uh, Will, would you like to go over the first character? So Theoden and the Battle of Pelennorfield? Yeah, we see all these different... um kind of parallels in Lord of the Rings between characters. So there's a, a parallel or a contrast between Denethor is the king of Rohan and then, or sorry, Theoden, the king of Rohan, and then Denethor who's the steward of Gondor. And they're both these leaders of, of nations and they're these king figures uh, and they're faced with a choice and they they show, he sort of plays out the, the outcome of the choice of despair and the choice of courage. And so Theoden in the face of all these orcs at the Battle of Pelennor Fields and Return of the King, this glorious scene, he's faced with an immense despair. And it even talks about how he has this wave of fear and despair and, and a kind of a cloud that comes over him. Um, but then he chooses courage. And he, by him choosing courage, the entire army is completely stirred up uh, and they're all ready to go. And that talks about how he just rides forth in glory and courage. He's riding faster than anybody else. All of his younger, you know, mm-hmm. riders are are trying to surpass him, but they can't. And he's like old, and he's just going. He's just, just yeah, going off. He's going super fast, mm-hmm. and it's this driven by this courage. 
and he's kind of redeeming himself in that in that way um versus denethor who who has this sort of prideful despair that he's characterized by and so Mm -hmm. they kind of contrast each other which is really fascinating um we should be like theoden though we need to choose courage as men um and i think maybe the Mm -hmm. main point is that if there isn't an underlying worldview that supports courage that actually makes courage worth it and worthwhile Mm -hmm. then we become sisyphus so if you're aware in in philosophy this idea of um uh, a sisyphean task Uh, sisyphus is this great character who his whole life he's just fated to push a rock up a hill Mm -hmm. and then the rock comes back down and then he pushes the rock back up the hill and then it falls back down ultimately his life is meaningless it's not or at least that's that's what I would say, is that his life is ultimately meaningless. All he's doing is just, he does it out of a pure sense of duty, this is what I do. But there is an underlying meaning to what he's doing. Mm-hmm. But in the Lord of the Rings universe, there is. And there's this underlying commitment to the good. Uh, they are fighting because there's something beyond them. There's, there's a good beyond them that they're fighting for. And so that is also the key. Uh, our, our, our decision for hope versus despair only matters when there is an underlying worldview that can support that idea uh, that makes hope meaningful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I actually want to read one section from the Lord of the Rings on that mm-hmm. because it's amazing. All right. Yeah. It's, it's just this idea of standing up to the, uh, the shadow of despair. So <clears throat> it's just, a it's like a paragraph or two. So um, this is the whole scene of, uh, the despair and how Theoden responds. So it, it says this. After a while, the king led his men away somewhat eastward to come between the fires of the siege and the outer fields. Still, they were unchallenged and still Theoden gave no signal. At last, he halted once again. The city was now nearer. A smell of burning was in the air and a very shadow of death. The horses were uneasy, but the king sat upon snowmane motionless gazing upon the agony of Minas Tirith, as if stricken suddenly by anguish or by dread. He seemed to shrink down, cowed by age. Mary himself felt as if a great weight of horror and doubt had settled on him. His heart beat slowly. Time seemed poised in uncertainty. They were too late. Too late was worse than never. Perhaps Theoden would quail, bow his old head, turn, slink away to hide in the hills. Hmm. Um. And so there's this idea of like horror and doubt, and it's actually horrible. And this is this is the point where people have that choice of give in to the despair or be courageous. So then it says this. <clears throat> then suddenly Mary felt it at last, beyond doubt, a change. Wind was in his face. Light was glimmering far, far away in the south. The clouds could be dimly seen as remote gray shapes rolling up, drifting. Morning lay beyond them. But at that same moment, there was a flash as if lightning had sprung, sprung from the earth beneath the city. For a searing second, it stood dazzling far off in black and white, its topmost tower like a glittering needle. And then as the darkness closed again, there came rolling over the fields a great boom. At that sound, the bent shape of the king sprang suddenly erect, tall and proud, he seemed again. And rising in his stirrups, he cried in a loud voice, Um... And that's where he gives his whole speech hmm. right there. And then they finally write off. So yeah, that is just an awesome example of what men are supposed to do and how they were, are supposed to respond. 
All right. Um, but yeah, that's that's it. And then it's contrasted with Denethor, who is kind of the opposite. I won't read the section for Denethor. Also, everyone knows if you are a Lord of the Rings fan, he is the most annoying character, right? <laughs> especially especially the scene when he's eating and and Pippin is singing. He's I, I, everyone hates that scene. Um, <clears throat> most horrific, most horrific scene in the trilogy. Yeah, but anyway, he is prideful. So at first, that actually protects him. But then, when he starts to fail, he gets that shame, which leads to despair, and he gives into it. He eventually dies. Um, so that is the comparison between those two choices. But then, as Will, you were saying, we are left at this place where we. It, it's more than just the duty or the choice, right? So would you like to explain that scene um, that it points to? And this is our last scene before we end, by the way, that we're going to talk about. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, the one of Frodo and Sam. So explain that. All right. So it points to, uh, there's tons of different scenes on Frodo and Sam's way to Mordor where they are faced with this pretty obvious like despair. Uh, mm-hmm. This isn't going to work out. We're definitely going to die. Everything's hopeless. Many times it says how Frodo believes that everybody from the company has died, especially when he hears mm-hmm. about that Bor- that Boromir has died. And he hears about that for the first time. He believes that like the whole company must be dead. Everybody must mm-hmm. be dead. He must be the only one left. Then when Frodo gets stung by the spider and Sam has to feel like he has to carry on, he has to f- face this choice of despair again. He says, I'm the last man standing. Uh, my entire fellowship's dead, even though it's not true. He just believes that. And mm-hmm. so there's all these different they're encountered with all these choices to despair and basically the theme throughout that whole thing throughout Mordor is that they are persevering and hope. And the particular scene that they point to is um, when Sam is looking up into the stars, they're in Mordor. He sees the twinkling of a star beyond the clouds of Mordor. And he basically sees like there is good left in this world that's worth fighting for. Uh, And it says that the beauty of it smote his heart. And he is spurred on to keep going. And so this is the idea that uh, the, the author kind of puts forward is when you choose courage, when you choose hope in the face of despair, then you are putting yourself on the side of the stars, so to speak, is what he says. You're putting yourself mm-hmm. on the side of the transcendentals, goodness, truth, and beauty. Uh, those things really do objectively exist. They are different angles of seeing God in our world. They're not these weird abstract things. They're actually God. God is the good. He is the true. He is the beautiful. Yeah. And so there's that, that's that objective undergirding and reason for hope that you actually have in this world that we can actually face the despair and hopelessness of the world because mm-hmm. of God, because of the gospel, because of what he has done. And that is the underlying reason why choosing hope isn't meaningless because many times throughout uh, Lord of the Rings, but especially for mm-hmm. Sam, the choice for hope seems <clears> stupid. <throat> that's that's the whole point. It seems foolish. It's a fool's hope, mm-hmm. uh, but in reality, it's the right thing. It's the right choice. Yeah. And so, no matter how despairing we are today, we must actually choose hope, choose courage, choose to yeah. press on. So, yeah, the left, like connecting it to the other article, the left is Pan chooses to give up. Like, hey, it doesn't matter anymore. It's despair. Then the right, on the other hand, is fulfilling this duty. But as this article points out, that's not enough. We can't just do a duty, all right? Um, Sam and Frodo, if they were just trying to fulfill the duty, would have failed, all right? Mm -hmm. What caused 
Sam to continue on in hope, to face this despair, to choose the courageous thing wasn't necessarily the duty, but the fact that there was still truth, goodness, and beauty. So um, the vow uh, somewhat got him so far, but then he was at this point of like, I'm the last person. So he still had this sense of, I need to fulfill this duty, but there was this shadow over him. But if we make our vows on the side of truth, goodness, and beauty, then that is what will get us through when all seems lost is the, what is true, good, and beautiful. And so um, the lesson at the, at the end of this is what should men do to battle this? They should take vows that place them on the side of the stars as in take mm-hmm. vows that side them with through the good and the beautiful. That's what I would say. Mm-hmm. What about you, Will? What are your final thoughts? Uh, my final thought is, is similar is that take, taking that vow, I think that's the primary example of that is Jesus himself enduring the cross and despising the shame of the cross, but enduring it for the joy set before him mm-hmm. as Hebrews. And Jesus is our primary example of facing the worst possible situation that a human has ever faced and yet enduring it like an absolute man. And he is our model for that. And so yeah. we should, our vow, our commitment should be to him. He is the true king. And so we should pledge our allegiance to him. Mm-hmm. And that I think is the, that is the the reason and the source of our strength to persevere in this world, because he has paved a way for that. He has done that himself. And mm-hmm. so be more just preacher mode here and just <laughs> uh, talk about, kind of an evangelistic call to pledge allegiance to him yeah yeah exactly um yeah but that is uh that's all we got so if you enjoyed please like and subscribe and uh if you want to support us uh you could uh buy merch support us on patreon all the links are in the description anything like that but we uh, appreciate you all and uh thank you for watching god bless god bless Thank you.